morning. Um, so we, yeah, Jez has queued us up for this. We're doing this series, Citizens, and looking at how we can live wisely as citizens of earth while citizens of heaven as well, um, and how to live that out in the light of tricky issues. And we, did a, we started a series last summer. We did about 12 issues then. We're looking at another bunch of, of things in you know, poverty, singleness, homosexuality, transgender this morning, uh, the European referendum, and last week you did education with Ollie. But we're going to be looking, as I say, at transgender this morning. And that's going to be a, a pretty sticky issue for us. And it's basically effectively the question, gender dysphoria is a, a sort of a name for the uh, sort of medical condition of where there's a disjunction between somebody, what somebody believes they are in their sex and what they biologically are. So gender dysphoria is a slightly more obscure sounding term. Transgender is more of a bucket term, which is the one I use today, which is really how should we think about people for whom there is a disconnect between the sex that they feel and the sex that they are? Or people whose biological sex is ambiguous or unclear, which is true sometimes. That's a condition called being intersex. How should we think about the broader cultural thing that's going on in which people are using that conversation and those people, which are, there's not very many, but people are using these examples to say, actually, there is no real male-female binary at all. It's not the case that there are men and women. It's the case that there's just this sort of spectrum and you're somewhere along it. How should we think about that issue? And how should we think about the very real people that are bound up in the issue, and many of whom have been very painfully hurt by people in the society at large and often by the church as well. So it's a big cultural issue. And funnily enough, I mean, this is the best possible week to have talked about it. I don't know how much you follow the news, but I was listening as it happens. I was in the car on Friday for three hours driving between six and nine. So I just listened to the Today program pretty much from beginning to end. They had, I think, four separate features on transgender on Friday morning. John Humphreys was sort of interviewing people about it and so on. On Friday morning or maybe Thursday afternoon, Barack Obama sent out a letter to schools across the U.S. telling them what they should do about bathrooms and changing facilities in schools with respect to transgender, basically saying if a student uh, identifies as one sex but biologically is of another sex, you need to allow them to use the facilities of the sex they identify with, not even if it's different from the sex that they are biologically. And he, he wrote this letter just on Thursday, so this is very fresh news. Um, many of you would be aware, I guess, over the last couple of years, this has become, I guess, since the legalization of gay marriage in this country and in North America, it's become the next big civil rights issue. So we've got, we've got gay marriage now, so that's the next, the next step, really. And in May 2014, Time magazine ran a front cover with it, saying this is the next civil rights frontier. Gay marriage, tick, next step transgender rights and so on. Last June, you might have seen this image before, I don't know, this is a, the front cover of Vanity Fair last June. Um, it was the transition of a guy called Bruce Jenner, who was an Olympic, Olympic gold medal winning decathlete and father of six children. And he transitioned into Caitlyn Jenner. And we, we, yep, there, okay. So this is, this, he was Bruce Jenner, and the headline is, Call Me Caitlin. He transitioned into a woman. He's, by the way, the, in the last few days, uh, stories circulating that he may well transition back in two years' time, which would be another interesting thing. I'm sure we'll make headlines again. But I don't think it's a coincidence that was in June 2015, which was the same month that gay marriage was made, effectively made law by the Supreme Court in North America. In other words, you know, you, so we've got one, now this is next. Um, in the last month, there's been a big bust-up in America, which obviously, often these news stories come from America because it's much more divided about issues like this. But a big bust-up in the U.S. over access to bathrooms. So there was, um, just put up the next, next image, this whole question about what sorts of bathrooms should people use in shops and Target, which is a sort of low-priced, large retailer in America, very well-known store with 
it's not the same as like Asda, but it would have similar brand recognition, I expect, in America. Um, and Target said, we're going to allow transgender people to choose which bathroom they want to use, and everybody else needs to go along with it. And as a result, there was a boycott of Target organized by a lot of pro-family groups, because it's America, obviously. And then there was a legal challenge, and some states said, you know, not allowed to do that in our state. Um, one of those states was North Carolina. And then that prompted a massive counter-reaction from loads of musicians who said we're now not going to do our gigs in North Carolina and Bruce Springsteen and Ringo Starr and people like that. Ringo Starr's still gigging apparently. Um, but they said no we're not going to go and play events in that state because they've boycotted shops for putting in. You know, so the whole thing just becomes a big cultural hot potato. And uh, a couple of months ago there was a school in, in Eastbourne which uh, we got some mem- church members who go there um, t- in, in their teens um, and they, they had Rainbow Day, so they all had to come in dressed in bright rainbow colors in order to talk, you know, affirming of gay relationships and so on. But as they came into school, one of the things they were asked to do was there was a line drawn on a blackboard and they were asked to put a cross by where they felt they were on a scale from male to female. And this is a, a girl of 12 who's in this class. Um, and some of you may have realized if you're more from the sort of Brighton area, this, would, this is obviously a bit more Brighton, but forms for four-year-olds ask parents on the child behalf of the child to choose the gender they most identify with, uh, rather than to say, are you male or female? Say, what's, choose the gender that you most identify with. And obviously behind all of those stories, there's a whole bunch of very confused people. There's a lot of people who are confused about how they should think about those questions they have of their own identity. In fact, just this morning, had two different church members talk to me about this issue. One saying, my flatmate has just decided they want to transition from one sex to another. Another person saying, a social action project in Eastbourne uh, where there is a guy who is what he calls gender fluid. So some days he will come in and be Gary, and another day he will come in and be Claire. And is alternating between the two. So this is this just this morning. So it's a very pressing issue. And you've got a lot of people who are confused either about their own gender and sex or about how they should think about people who are close to them and the way they should think about their gender and sex what names do I use what pronouns do I use what do I think if it in my school people say you can share with people who you identify with rather than biologically who you are and there's a whole bunch of people of course who aren't have none of those questions but nevertheless are looking on slightly concerned at the cultural moment in society going what do we do about that even if I don't know anybody who's trans I might still have a lot of questions about how to think about it so you're glad you came today, right? So this is, a, this is, not, this is not a normal kind of Sunday, I suppose. It's just like, let's, we are going to turn to the Bible because the Bible speaks clearly on many, many issues and ha- has just two wonderful things to say in this particular passage. So can we turn to Matthew chapter 19 and hear what God's Word has to say? I think this is just, so God's Word is an anchor for us and just, you just get blown around so much and sometimes just to hear Jesus speaking to us. And in this passage, it is directly Jesus' words. Very, very helpful just to hear the Son of God speak with clarity about an important issue. So Matthew chapter 19 and verse 1. You will notice that this is not a story about transgender. It was impossible to, then had no such thing as hormone blockers and corrective, corrective surgery in those days. So that was not the issue. You'll notice it's a story about divorce. But two of the things Jesus says in this story are extremely helpful for us in navigating what's a very difficult issue. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? 
and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it wasn't so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. As I say, it's, an, it's not a story about transgender, it's a story about divorce. But the Pharisees are trying to test Jesus with a sticky question, and he answers brilliantly, and he draws on the garden story, and then the Mosaic law, and his own authority, and brings those three together to tell them what they should do about it. But as he answers, he makes two points that I think are vital for our understanding of how to think about transgender and intersex as issues, and of course as people. And the two statements, the first one is in verse 4 where he says, haven't you read from the beginning God made them male and female? So the male-female binary, there are males and there are females, and those are the two categories God created, is a part of God's good creation. To be affirmed and celebrated as part of what God has made. God looks, and in fact, the whole of Genesis 1 is dividing things into, into pairs, if you like. The earth was without form and void. And then he separated the night from the day. And then he separated the waters from the waters above from the waters beneath. And then he separated the waters from the land. And then he made fish and birds. And then he made animals and humans. He's continually doing things in pairs. And he does it with male and female as well. Heaven and earth. The whole of Genesis is our Genesis 1 to 2 is like that. And so Jesus is affirming that. Say, so haven't you read this? Right at the beginning, God made the male and female. Marriage. Male and female is part of God's good creation, and we're not free to mess around with it. That's the first important point Jesus makes. The second important point Jesus makes sounds like it pulls in the opposite direction. In verse 12, he says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So a eunuch is somebody who doesn't have, basically a man who doesn't have the right genitals. Now, usually a eunuch in the ancient world would be somebody who was actually castrated and had been castrated with a view to serving in a harem or in some sort of position of authority where you might have to be a courtier to the queen. So there isn't, you might have heard of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, and he would have been a significant dignitary who, because he was castrated, was not a sexual threat to women. And so that would be quite a common thing. There'd be lots of eunuchs in the ancient world. But Jesus says something very interesting here. He refers to eunuchs who have been so from birth. In other words, he says there are these... I'm not saying that he has a category here for a transgender person or an intersex person. I don't, I'm not trying to prove that. I'm saying that what he is saying is that there are such things as individuals who, despite the fact that there is a male-female binary, a, a sort of opposite pair, there are people who don't quite fit those categories. And some of them don't fit the category from birth. And he's affirming both. God made us male and female, and there are some, there are a very small number then as now, but there are some who don't quite fit those categories and present different challenges, including, in this case, how you live as a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven. 
And I think a, a culturally robust, strong, firm response, and yet a pastorally sensitive response to transgender people and intersex people, needs us to affirm both of those things. God made us male and female. There is a binary. There's one or the other. It's not just a, a blurry spectrum that I'm sort of 50, 60% male and 40% female. That's just not the right way to think about it. So there are men and women. There is male and female. But there are also some people who don't quite fit either of those categories. And Jesus seems to affirm both. Creation is good. Biological sex is given by God and is good. And we live in a fallen world. And there are a few people who, through no fault of their own, do not quite fit either of those categories. So what I'm going to try and then do is take both of those insights and apply them to three groups of people, briefly, this morning. Three groups of people who, and I think we have to understand that the three groups of people are different. There are intersex people, as in people whose biological sex is ambiguous. There are people who are, when they're born, it is not clear whether they are male and female, male or female, because they look, they have some expressions of both. There are others who will look for all the world like they are one, and then a flood of hormones will kick in in childhood or early teenage years, and they will look like they are transitioning from one to the other. It's not common, but it happens. And there are various chromosomal abnormalities as well, which mean that people can have ambiguous genitalia or ambiguous gametes, gonads, or ambiguous chromosomes. So that's, a, that's an issue, right? So there are, we have to apply these insights to intersex people. Then there are transgender people, people who don't have ambiguous genitals. It's obvious which sex they are biologically, but they don't feel like they are. And then we also need to apply them to, I guess, the third group, which is a much larger group most of us are probably a little bit more aware of, indicated by some of the headlines and magazine covers and that sort of thing, which is people who, the, the activists, journalists, students, fashionable opinion makers, media, educators, Twitterati, People who are using transgender or intersex people to destroy the male-female binary altogether. That's a different group again. So actually the vast majority of people who talk about this issue are not themselves trans. They're people who are trying to draw conclusions from the fact that trans is an issue to talk much more widely in the culture. Most of the people making a fuss about bathrooms are not themselves trans people. Now I th- so and all three of those people need to be responded to differently, I think. And what we mustn't do is blur them all together and then say, oh, you see, because we need to be sensitive to this person, therefore we need to agree with everything they're saying. Or because we need to robustly defend ourselves against that person, we need to be mean to this person. We've got to be more nuanced than that, I think. I think in some ways the easiest people to respond to using those, so Jesus has got these two key truths which sound like they're intention, but they're not. God made them male and female, and there are some people who don't quite fit. They're very, very few, but there are some. I think in some ways our easiest response is to intersex people, people whose genitals are ambiguous or whose sex is ambiguous. Because our response to an intersex person, if there's somebody here, I don't think there is, but if there's somebody here today who is intersex, our response to you is simply, God loves you, we love you, and I'd love you, can you tell me what it's like to be you? What challenges do you face? What's it like being you? What's it like living in your shoes? And how can we help? There's things I'm bound to get wrong. I don't understand what it's like. That's not been my story, so help me understand and help me love you effectively. And actually, that's, not a, that's a very Christian answer to anybody, isn't it? And it's not a particularly difficult one to get your head around. For many years, what happened was doctors would be faced with ambiguous genitals or gonads and would take a decision at birth 
And that could be very harmful. So we need to make sure that this person fits male or female. And, well, to be honest, it looks a bit more male than female, so we'll just chop off or adjust whatever is wrongly aligned. And that could be very harmful because there may well be all sorts of other things later in life which will cause that to have been very damaging. You might remove the sexual organ of the sex that this person eventually chromosomally aligns with. Now, that's, that's very dicey. And the more we've learned about intersex, the more we've come, I guess genitals don't form properly or hormones get resisted or whatever it might be, the more we've been prepared to wait and see how things turn out, which is rightly what we do now. So I don't know. This is ambiguous. Okay, well, let's just see how things pan out. We don't need to force it now. Let's just wait and see. Some Christians might feel threatened a bit by the idea that sex can be ambiguous. Because they're worried, but no, but if we allow that some people's sex is ambiguous, won't that destroy the male-female thing? And I think Jesus in this passage indicates that that doesn't follow. By allowing for the existence of eunuchs from birth at the same time as God made them male and female. You can believe both of those things. Jesus does, and that's okay. In fact, if Jesus does, it's not just okay. It's probably quite a good idea, I suspect. So, okay, so that's, in some ways, with intersex people, it's quite straightforward. With transgender people, I think it should be a very similar response, but there are a few complexities practically which we then need to think through. Again, again, though, I think our pastoral personal response to a transgender person is, God loves you, we love you, we'll let you tell us what it's like to be you and how we can help if we can. I think that's exactly the right response. It's always the right response to somebody made in the image of God. At the same time, because of the third group of people who are using the issue in a wider cultural thing, and because of the third group, there are one or two complexities. So, for example, it can be very, there can be a lot of pressure to define people as trans too early. So this is what a lot of the features on the radio were about the other day. You've got a child at the age of seven who feels like they are, who's a boy who feels like they're a girl or vice versa. And there can be a lot of pressure to say, we need to validate that choice and treat you now as the opposite sex to that which you are. The challenge with that is that actually still a majority, sizable majority, of children or teens who experience gender dysphoria revert back to their biological sex as an adult. So if you make the call too early and say, therefore, sorry, Martin, but you happen to be there. Okay, so Martin, we're going to start calling you Martina because we know that you connect with that at the age of 7, 8, 11, 12. The chances are that by the time he's 18, he may well have reverted back to being Martin. So he might not have served him very well by doing anything physically irreparable to him in that stage of confusion. So that, that can be one of the, that's one of the complexities with this whole issue. We're not denying that there's a challenge, but we are, at the same time, not wanting to jump too soon. There can also be an assumption, in our society, this is true everywhere, there's an assumption that the best way of dealing with a disconnect between your mind and your body is to change the body to fit the mind, rather than, which I think would be a much more Christian vision, to change the mind to fit the body. And that's basically Gnosticism. If you've heard of that, it's a, sort of one of the first heresies the church had to deal with. But actually, our culture is very like that. You are what you feel you are. This is not just true of sex. It's true of everything. You are what you feel you are. And so what you've got to try and do is now conform physical reality to match your feelings. Rather than, and so the line that was used on the radio the other day, gender is not about what's between your legs. It's about what's between your ears. We'll look at that in a, in a minute as a, as a kind of line of argument. But that's a, quite a common thing in the society in general. You've just got to f- change what's physical to align with what's immaterial. Whereas actually, I think a Christian vision would do the other way around. There are also pastoral sensitivities. 
So I've been asked, how would you counsel? A man comes into the church, a, man, a biological man who either is transitioning or has transitioned to be a woman, how would you counsel them? And my answer is, I don't know. And we would start by talking about it. I don't know. There's pastoral challenges. I, just, I don't have a clear answer. I have no idea. Let's hear the story. How did this happen? How long have you, how long have you, been, have you struggled with this issue? How has it expressed itself? How's it, you know, we, often clamoring for a quick answer. Oh, it's all right. We'll put them back in this box and then, then it's fine. No, no, no. We need to, some of these things will take a lot of time as pastoral, personal sensitivities involved. And there are practical sensitivities as well, hence the bathroom debates. There are some f- questions which force the issue. Which bathroom or showers or whatever are you going to use? And the joy of being, having a, a building like this or a building like the King Center is that you have unisex toilets. But I heard somebody say very recently, I thought it was quite clever, they said, no matter how compassionate the people and pastor are, if there isn't a family bathroom, things get complicated fast. Because there are practical sensitivities, practical issues. You have to make a choice at that point. Now, unisex loos are wonderful for that because they, don't, they, in many ways, avoid the issue entirely and make it much easier for people to have somewhere safe to go. Now, having said all of that, those complexities, which there are with transgender people, shouldn't obscure the central point, which is we love you and God loves you and we want to hear what it's like to be you and we want to walk with you and help you and show the love of Jesus to you. That's always the right answer, I think. But there may well be complexities that have to be thought about at the same time in the context of a a church community or even just a friendship. So I said at the beginning, there's there's two key truths that that God made them male and female and there are eunuchs, effectively people from birth who do not quite fit either. We've talked about how those two truths apply to intersex people and to transgender people, but the third group, that is probably the way that most of us engage with the issue if we read the papers, watch TV, or whatever it is, is that the third group is the group of activists, journalists, opinion formers, media, students, educators, etc., who are using, many of them, the transgender people's experience to try and destroy the male-female binary altogether. That's for many of us how we'll come across it. Magazine covers, TV shows, characters in soaps or whatever. That's much of what's going on in the local school in Eastbourne that I mentioned with the line line on the blackboard. That's much of what's going on when concerts are cancelled. That's much of what's going on with debates about bathrooms. And the logic there goes really, well, look, there are exceptions. And because there are exceptions, therefore God didn't create us male and female. We might not believe in God at all. God didn't create us male and female because there's exceptions. So there's just a big giant spectrum and anyone can sit anywhere they like on it and sleep with anybody they want for that matter and you should shut up about it. Effectively, it's the opposite of the way that some people respond to intersex people. So some people say, God made us male and female, therefore there's no exceptions. But many people today are saying, no, there are exceptions, therefore God didn't make us male and female. But they both make the same misstep that Jesus doesn't, which is to say you can affirm both that there are exceptions, and that there is a binary here. Jesus says, yes, there are exceptions, and yes, he did make us male and female. Haven't you read? He says, he's just amazed the Pharisees are bringing it up. Haven't you read? The Bible says, what are you talking about? So while I want to be incredibly understanding and loving towards intersex and transgender people, I also think my response to the fashionable activists who are in the culture at large should probably be a combination of robust rebuttal and sometimes outright ridicule for some of the silliness that's coming out. So I am male, I'm 5 foot 11, I'm 12 and a half stone, I am white British, I am 37 years old. If I felt like I was a 7 year old blind 6 foot 2 inch black girl, the best way of you loving me 
would not necessarily be for you to affirm all of those things. Actually, it would be to state, no, you're not all of those things. And it's okay, I understand. And the fact that you think you are those things means that there's a challenge to work through, and I love you, but they're still not true. And that needs to be held on in spite of the pressure not to. It occurred to me this morning, actually, with the states, because the states are getting very excited about it. I just wondered, what, I wonder, who's going to be the first enterprising student who goes into a bar in America where the licensing laws are much stricter than they are here and says, look, my assigned age is 17, but I identify as 22. I'll have a pint of IPA, please. I'm assuming somebody's going to do that at some point, but I don't see that it's formally different, actually from some of what's happening in the transgender debate. And the fact that it isn't is indicated to me by this video that I'm going to show now, which is a, a very genuine... A, a guy does it really well. He just goes onto a university campus in America and interviews people about how and to what extent you can identify as something that you biologically are not. And you'll find the results either very amusing or very worrying, depending on the way you're wired. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go to whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would you respond to? Good for you, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'd be like, what? Really? I don't have a problem. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I'd say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. <laughs> uh, I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, I, it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out my way and tell you, no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, you want to say seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then, <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point. And so. That's where you feel, like, mentally you should be, then I feel like there are... Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're 6'5". If you truly believed you're 6'5", I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. 
So you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? about that is um i think he does it really well i think he does it really respectfully and it's so palpably stupid at the end of it that you go wow you can that line at the end if you be- believe in nothing you'll fall for anything but i think what's in, what's i mean he's obviously d- it's very clear how he's done it and what he's trying to achieve in doing it but i think what's in, what i think is interesting sometimes you have to be able to laugh as well as well as to be able to say look i want to be very accepting and affirming of this individual but when people use that issue to say much more broadly, there is no such thing as male or female, or then you say, well, hang on a second, where do we stop? And just to be able to say, there is something very preposterous about what you're saying, and to be able to laugh at it, and to be able to rebut it quite strongly. And I think we have to be able to do both as Christians. I think we, I don't, and it won't be most of our jobs, most, it won't very often come up, but you might find that if it's a big issue in your workplace or whatever place of education, something like that is quite a helpful resource because it just puts on display some of the missteps that are going on. And you might think that whole exercise is just rather silly and a bit pointless, but I don't think it is. And there are such things at the moment as transabled people. In other words, people who identify as disabled, even though they're able bodies, and are therefore attempting to present as a disabled person, even though they are physically okay. They identify as blind, even though they can physically see. That is a thing. It's un- uncommon, but it happens. You may have come across this woman, Rachel Dolezal, who was the... Uh, president of the NAACP, which is a civil rights organization in America, she identifies as black, and it came out that she wasn't. came out that that's a picture of her on the left. Her today, on the right, she identifies as black, and she's not black, she's white, but she identified that way, and there was a huge outcry for her having said that she was, even though she wasn't, and of course then many people like me turned around and said, well, hang on, on what basis are you saying that about color, but you won't say the same thing about sex or gender? There's a much more severe example. This is a man called Richard Hernandez, who's a 55-year-old former banker who has had a whole series of surgeries in order to t- make himself biologically into a dragon. He believes he's a dragon. If you look closely at that picture, you can see what he's done to his ears and his nose. He's caused himself immense damage in terms of what his physical form is in order to be able to align his body with what he feels he is. He's put horns on his forehead. He's actually got a forked tongue. And he identifies as a dragon. Now, that is an extreme example, and I'm using it as an extreme example because you can see the same kinds of logic at work. But how would you help a man like that? And I suggest that the way you help him is not by affirming his dragonness and empowering him to become a dragon, but by rightly treating it as a disability and loving him anyway. I think that's how you treat him. And we certainly don't help him by denying that there are any clear differences between humans and dragons. 
I don't think that's the right way. You understand where the parallel is going. I think Jesus would say, if this, haven't you read? In the beginning, he made them like this. And I think to be able to say both that there are exceptions and that there is a male-female thing written into creation across the animal kingdom and in humanity that God made and is good, and to be able to affirm both, therefore, you're then able to love the person who is struggling without necessarily feeling the need to affirm everything they believe about themselves as objectively true. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Now, we're in a society, thanks very much, yeah, the dragon's gone, I'm good. It's quite a disturbing picture. Um, we're in a society that appears to present only two options, right? You either deny the givenness of male and female and, and acknowledge a giant spectrum, or you affirm the givenness of male and female and insist that every individual everywhere fits into one or the other. Jesus, I think, gives us a third option. He says you can affirm emphatically that God made the male and female, that creation is good, that biological sex is good, and affirm emphatically that there are eunuchs, exceptions, whether from birth or from disfigurement or from self-inflicted changes, and that it is possible to be a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, which is what he says, isn't it? So if you imagine meeting an intersex person thinking, where does this person fit? You say, this person can live this way for the kingdom of heaven, because Jesus says so without it destroying the existence of male and female. Ultimately, you see, male and female together represent the image of God. By being different, male and female, we point to the fact that God and his people are different. And when we join together and become one in sex and marriage, we point to the fact that God and his people are one day going to join together and become one. Heaven will be joined to earth. The new Jerusalem is going to come out of heaven to earth. Christ will be joined with his, with his bride and all sorrow and sighing and all of the waiting and all of the confusion and all of the doubts and all of the sense of disconnect that happens inside people will have gone forever. And as I was, we're just going to conclude now, but as I was thinking about the guy who I heard about this morning who, was, who sometimes presents as Gary and sometimes as Claire, depending on the day, I thought to myself, there's actually something of that in all of us that actually all of us who are Christians live daily, I think, sometimes with a failure to recognize the identity we have been given by God and living, as if, living a bit schizophrenically, living a bit as if the thing that God says is true of us is not true. Objectively, it is. You are a child of God. You're free. You're redeemed. You're chosen. You're loved. And often we can live as if it isn't. We can live with a, a dissonance or a disconnect between the objective reality of who we are in Christ and who we feel like we are on a given day. And in that sense, I find it quite easy to empathize and think, wow, all that's happening when somebody is experiencing gender dysphoria is they are having the same phenomenon I have, but applied in a different area of their life. And for me to be able to hear the voice of God repeatedly say, you are, you are, you are. I have said this is true of you, and because I say it, it is, even if you don't feel like it, is absolutely the heart of Christian discipleship. Rather than to say, today I feel like Gary, today I feel like Claire, today I feel like a Christian, today I don't feel like a Christian. Today I feel justified and free and my sins washed away, as Jez was saying. Today I don't feel like my sins are washed away. I feel like I'm swirling around in a pig's wheel of my own making. Actually to hear over and over again the voice of God say, you are free, you are forgiven. And one day all of us will have all of those doubts and dissonances removed and all see Jesus face to face and all of us, whether we're trans or intersex or cisgender, which is everybody else effectively, we're all going to align, have aligned for us by God the reality of who we are and who we feel ourselves to be. That day is coming and there will be none of these questions and there'll be no people identifying as dragons and we will be able to enjoy him forever. But in the meantime, we have to wait 
And we have to look to that day with hope and certainty that Jesus is going to make all things new. What I'd ask, just as a way of response, is actually for Sarah and the guys to come out and actually just to sing a song to us, which we may join in in the middle of it. Just a beautiful song about the hope we have, looking forward to the future when Jesus returns. And I just think it's a powerful statement of the Christian belief of what happens when Jesus comes back, which I hope will help us as we just try and turn this to a place of worship as we close our meeting.